Anyone who follows the world of Tarpon knows of David Mangum. His short films are incredible, profiling one of the ocean's most compelling fish. His short Yeti film, 120 Days, shows a highly protective man as much as this prized fish. We've been together a few times and I really enjoy his company. This was a difficult interview because we had to put our friendships aside and be true to our jobs as interviewers. We hope you enjoy. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow and he turned around the other way and I shot him going through the other way. So I double lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. <laughs> There's something fishy going on here. David Magnum. Magnum. Mangum. <laughs> I do. I, go, I, I say Magnum. Nikki goes, what? I said, yeah, no. David. Every time, Magnum. Magnum P.I. It's Mangum. People used to call me Magnum P.I. in like grade school. I was like, okay, I'm good with that. I'm in. Fucking Ferrari, motherfucker. Some yeah. people's mouths work better than others. And obviously, I'm the weakest link. I'm anyway, it's great. it's great to be here. Thank you so much for allowing us to come. Thank you. And hang Thanks with for you. coming. Um, we have... A pretty good spectrum to cover today, and I'm really mm. looking forward to it. Okay. Uh, you know, instead of going back to some of the trite and typical questions, what is the most interesting, demanding question that you've ever been asked that really challenged you as who you are Got and it. what you stand for? You know, I think maybe I'd go back to, you know, people talking about garden spots or like who, your ownership of a spot like that's that's always created friction with me you know right and some people know that about me that might be my answer there okay yeah. we'll get we'll get to that in a little bit yeah but uh i don't know i just kind of wanted to throw that out there because you know obviously hmm. that's more relevant more recently in your life you know becoming now you're the most popular uh, fisherman on the internet and i gotta i gotta hand it to you I don't know of anybody in the world that probably that catches more big tarpon than you do. Hmm. And a lot of people may say that they caught a 200-pound fish, but in reality, there's only been one caught. On fly. On fly with the IGFA one, one regulations. Official. That's One right. official. But I've seen the fish that you've caught, and there are no doubt there are over 200. So my question to you— I know I've you, caught one for sure, double, triple checked that was— Right. Yeah. yeah. So I guess for me— the most important question that if I had one question to ask you would be, mm. what is it like to see a 200-pound fish coming down the flat? What does it mm. look like to see that fish eat your fly? And what does it look like 
and feel like to have him in your hands. Yeah. You know, the shot, I remember the shot distinctly. A guy named Stanton Ray, and we saw the fish roll, I don't know, a couple hundred yards away before we saw him in the water to take our shot. And two people on the boat, like simultaneously, said, Oh, that, that looked like a big one. It was a big one. So the fish came into view just perfect. Uh, Stanton dropped the fly right in front of the fish. Well, first one strip, it just dropped, and the fish just barely ate it and came tight and came out of the water, and we all were like, oh, you know, big one. Did it clear the water? Or it did. Kinda, it, oh, it did. really? So Is, the, we caught that fish in about 25 minutes. And why we did, because the fish jumped its absolute ass off. Like, unbelievable i bet that fish jumped 20 times and the reason is because the fish had it in the top of her mouth and i think she was just like you know i hate this being there so have you noticed that where the fly is in a fish's mouth they act differently of course yeah the top of the mouth top of the mouth like in the roof pretty sensitive in the roof of the mouth because i've noticed it's not many times you cook it doesn't get there much yeah yeah the fish ate it straight on to bloop ate the fly um a little purple and black imagine that yeah right and uh a little off color water yeah just a bit and uh yeah we went and chased the fish and the fish you know once we got on her you know she had jumped quite a bit and I'm like man we're already on this fish pretty quick you know just pulling on it pulling on it pretty good i'm like man you got to go for broke as you always do with the big fish um he pulled pulled hard i got some phone video of it because i'm just like holy shit look at that fish you know, but I didn't say anything about 200 pounds. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to do that in that moment. It's too just, early. Just, just keep pulling, man. Pull hard, pull your ass off. And so when the leader got in range, I grabbed the leader and the fish would jump on the leader. I bet it jumped a dozen times when I had the leader in my hand. Got a bunch of pictures of it just going crazy next to the boat. Every time I'd stop and back that fish up on the leader, a little jump. And it finally just, as you know, oh, okay, I'm done. Just flip, just, okay, I'm done. Just done. Yeah. What did that feel like? It's pretty, when pretty you had cool. That fish and the, the leader in your hand. Yeah. You know, I've had a few big ones in my hand. Um, in the moment, you're just going for it and like holding on. And, you know, that fish, I remember I just hold the jaw. You know, sometimes you go under the, the right. gill there to really get a, and Good I didn't hold. do that. I just had her. She shook out of my hands a few times, but she was done. We had her and uh, measured her and just, ooh, you know, it was 81 and a little more and 45. That's what it what was. Mm-hmm. Fish. Big, giant fish. I sat tagged that fish. Yeah. Uh, what kind of information have you received from that tag? Pretty interesting. You know, I'd say the overall, you know, I put, well, that tag, the fish went down and was uh, Boca Grande, actually. You know, went down and went offshore in Boca Grande, and something happened, the tag came off or whatever uh, for that fish. But, you know, the one thing I would tell you about all the sat tag stuff I've done is the consistent thing you've seen or we've seen that I've been shown is that they all do something a little different. You would think they all did this and they all would shift this way with the, the tides of the moons, but they are just everywhere. Melee. Yeah. yeah. So pretty interesting. One fish will hang out in a zone, you know, football field zone for two weeks. And then all of a sudden he swims all the way to Louisiana. You know, one will move long distances and consistently move down the coast and another, all sorts of different stuff. What was your early life like? Did you always have fishing in your DNA? I did. You know, um, actually, within sight of here is my first uh, first John boat that I had when I was a little kid. Uh, caught my first fish out of. We still have it in the family. It's green, just like my boats are now. Um, 
that's why they're that color. But yeah, you know, I fished a lot with my dad, fished bass. First fly rod I had, we fished like brim and bass and gar. Like and where'd you grow up? Here in Florida. Yeah. Born here in Florida. So. And so when did you come to the panhandle? Born here. You were born here? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, from here, yeah. So, so this is your home ago. water? 49 years ago, almost. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is my home water. Tell, yeah. me, tell me a little bit about the early days fishing with JT and Alvin. Yeah, yeah. So along the 20, 30 different places I've lived, well, 20, let's say, I spent time in Austin and I met JT and Alvin at this uh, place called the Austin Angler. And we hit it off and, you know, just fishing nerds and, you know, when somebody else is just loony about fishing. So, um, we'd go down on the coast down there all the time and just redfish. And Dawson Angle actually had this old, like, uh, John boat with a platform. It's just a squared off bow John boat. We take that. Down oh, sorry. That's my dog. The beautiful uh, bird dog. Yeah. He wants to chase a bird. Mr. English setter there, Kai. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we just go down on the coast and chase redfish and, uh, we were all a lot younger then. It's been almost 30 years I've known him. So, yeah. He was a little wilder back no then. No partying back then. Oh, yeah. None at all. Oh. Got, got a couple stories. He's with got the boys. DNA for it. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> um, this is your first year not fishing Louisiana. It is. After how many years? 20. And why? Yeah. You know, I just want to sleep in my own bed. And uh, right. I, I'm just not as mad at him now, you know. Uh, I was way more mad at them for many years. And what you made know, you mad at the redfish? At all fish, you know. And I'm mad that they don't have to act catch the way them. you want them to. Yes, I'm, I just need to capture them and win. I guess I don't know. Have you been like that with, with other aspects of your life? Yes, um, I'd say that anything that really got interested in, I just dug super deep in and way down the wormhole and do as you know learn as much about it as you can and just try to master it well your photography and video work is outrageous oh, thank you yeah that's a, another wormhole that i don't know that i think that when you capture an image or you know it's it's art for sure right um and doing that different than other people uh, you know it's uh it's something that i worked hard at to to try to show and, and mostly what i really liked to do was capture like fish in the moment, right? Like a tarpon jumping, a redfish tailing or, and I use that imagery to kind of supplement, you know, the guide service and my guiding. Mm -hmm. So if you saw a photo somewhere of an amazing redfish or tarpon jumping, you would know, like, like I could probably put me in that situation. Right. And yeah, if he can take that picture, he can probably put me on the bow and show me that. So that was always my thinking. And some of the, motivation behind some of that so are you still connected deeply to photography yeah for sure camera goes on the boat every day have you ever had something that you really cared about that you walked away from hmm not that i can think of because i have <laughs> you know it's like chapters in a book yeah um you get to the point where i can't get any better mm -hmm. because of age or whatever or location or family i don't i don't believe that but well, I'll give you an example. I was an Olympic skier for so many years. And sure. at a certain point, well after, after 20 operations, well, and I got into fishing and other things and bow hunting with my bow, I can't... Here's you, the deal. My whole life was based on a clock. How fast can I ski? That's right. And that clock determined how well or how poorly I skied. Once I retired and the clock was no longer a part of that relationship with skiing, I can ski... 
It'd right. be like you going out there and catching dinky little brim all day long. Yeah, it's not going to do it. At one me. point in your life, it was really great. Skiing was really great. But now I have other passions, so I kind of walked away from it. But you're still young enough that you're probably still connected with everything. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that young, but yes. I mean, I, I think that you are limited by circumstance. Right. And if those limitations hadn't been put on you, you'd probably still be going for it and trying to master it and do better and better and better. That's my bet. If I could still be the best in the world. That's right. Absolutely. And I feel like there is nothing out there that can't be done better. So whether it's the techniques we're using today for tarpon or whatever fish we're chasing, because that's what we do, you know, this fly fishing game, everything out there can be improved on. Absolutely. Whether it's permit fishing, like 10 years from now, we'll look back and go, oh man, that strong arm fly, man, we look what we did to that or look what this guy tied and you know we'll look at everything different down the road for sure everything can be improved on i think about it all the time anytime i see anything i look at it and say how can i change that to make it better and i think that's what you know i apply that to fishing what's the biggest change you see that's needed or is available in tarpon fishing in tar- at this stage? I, I don't know i think you know every day i just look at the little tiny details of it and think about oh what if we did this a little more like this or the line a little, you know, just all the tiny little minutia of it. Uh, I think about all the time. It's just like a wheel turning in my head. Right. It won't stop. You know, do those questions tormenting a little bit? Yeah. I was going to ask you, do those questions bother you or does it ever get to a point where you ever had a song in your head that just stays there for weeks and weeks? Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. It's just, but you know, the, the question changes somewhat here and there. Thank God. But yeah, whether it's your boat or how you set your boat up, or your anchor or your your rod setup or everything. And certainly I've applied that, you know, thinking or then thinking's been applied to me because of my brain, but over the years with different stuff. So it just happens that I've sculpted my life around fishing and specifically tarpon and that's mostly where I apply that. Or again, it's applied to me. I'm not sure which way it really works. And that's why you're as great as you are. You refine. No, I wouldn't say I'm great. I don't. You don't think you're great? No. I mean, I, I just think I think about it a lot. You know, um, I think the word great or the best is just a, I don't know. I don't really like that. But how can you not embrace greatness? Look, I mean, I looking know. at I guess what that's you've my done. Personality. And... I don't, I'm, you know, I, I think I've done well, some things humble. well. Yeah. And I like, you know, I, I feel good about that, but. I can do it better mm-hmm. always. Right. So you're being very humble. No, it's just, I truly believe that I like, it's stupid to say this person's the best, that person or this thing or whatever is best for a second, for a split second. Maybe right. if you had to add everything up in the world for just a second, but somebody else is better in the next minute or the next tournament or the next, whatever, there's no absolute best at something ever. Who, who do you hold? In most, in the greatest of regard. That's easy. Huff, Huff, Steve. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, so here, so here's the whole package. Yes. Here's that same question. He's been the barometer of good and bad, right and wrong from day one. Because you need a barometer. Everything, everybody that, whether it's skiing, I bet you, you have some barometers or had them in skiing or hunting. There's, you know, whatever it is, there's a barometer. And certainly Steve is one that we all look at for sure. His, he's very humble, too. I asked him at the end of our podcast, how would you like to be remembered? He said, I don't need to be remembered. Exactly. Yeah. The only people that need to remember me are my kids. Here's a, here's a 
something well, that's, that's what's very, most important to him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and that, that's why we so admire him so greatly is because he, his integrity is so spot on. And there's sometimes in life we have a little bit of gray. Yeah. And well, that guy never told a lie ever, ever. I bet. Never, I bet in his whole you life. You don't see that in him. His skin would crawl over his freaking eyes, and he'd freak out if he told a lie. You know, that's just who he is. Yeah, that's why we hold that's him in such a high, yeah. high regard. Interesting, if you look in the internet and all your images, so the you, film, yeah, and and in the book, Imagery. you have a great smile, but I don't see you smiling. <laughs> you know, give when, me another drink. If somebody wants to hold take. On, if, uh, if somebody wants to take a picture of you, or if you want to take a picture of yourself, or your portrait is always sometimes it's. I mean, I love your Sea Home uh, portrait with mm. the watch like okay. this, and your yeah. beard and the gray and the seriousness and the wrinkles, uh, and and I love wrinkles. What wrinkles? <laughs> what do you, mean? <laughs> what do you, you mean? know, it's like this mountain has been weathered, uh-huh. and this mountain deserves these wrinkles because we have earned the right to still be standing. Yeah. Like so there's that. there's certain places where that stern straight on look is is really that's what that moment calls for but i don't see you smiling a whole lot until i'm around you i mean Gosh, great I blue eyes, you just don't smile even a whole with lot. the buff up like that photo in the in the yeti book yeah why was that important and... i mean that was your chapter it was a picture of that you. was a shot that uh my friend andy anderson took me years ago and there's some other ones and I'm sure there's some of me smiling, but, but that's why what he did, chose. But why did you choose that? You had a say in that. I don't know. I, I like that it's just the eyes, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't want anybody to think I'm nice. I don't want to smile. <laughs> you might get your boat near mine. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we'll get, Is that we'll, a good enough answer? We'll, we'll get to that. Mm. You say that you were an offshore captain in uh, in Panama one Puerto time. Rico. Puerto Rico, running mm-hmm. big yeah. boats. Fajardo, Puerto Rico. I lived down there for a while. How did you get there? From Alaska, from Colorado, from like bouncing around a lot when I was young. Yep. But I don't around. see how all of a sudden you can be an offshore captain. What was that uh, that progression and evolution? So, you know, the first time I went down there, I was mate on a boat and quickly obsessed over it all and yeah moved from mate to captain had my captain's license that was late 90s when i first got my license so yeah what's the biggest blue marlin you wired as a mate probably about 500 a real hot 500 hot back and forth across the cockpit a couple times bloody knees yeah bigger fish i wired i think i wired one that was like seven something and i wired one here that was 700 a couple years ago but not like that hot 500. That fish was bananas. So, yeah. I can't even imagine what that feels like. It's awesome. I mean, it's pretty crazy it's just the to whole feel thing big... you wait for. Yeah. I don't care about them coming in or anything. Like when you grab that wire, that's what it's all about. That's, yeah, just like grabbing a poon or something. I hear Man. that you like Atlantic salmon flies and rare feathered and weird birds. Yeah. Feathers. What's, what's up with that obsession? So, years ago when I was in Alaska or preparing to go to Alaska, uh, a place called Prince of Wales. Um, I got into looking into Atlanta or, uh, steelhead flies, which led to Atlantic salmon flies. So I got into this weird world of tying these flies and, uh, collecting these rare, rare materials. And it's kind of just been on one of the little obsessions I've had for years. Yeah. So along with painting a paint. Yeah. Is it similar or does one have a preference over the other? 
Just painting and feathers and tumbling. oh no, they're just they're totally different. Yeah, it's like shooting a bow or surfing or all these other weird little things. Yeah, right. That you get into. I mean, you're into all sorts of weird stuff. I'm sure, right? Yeah, for sure. Know people know about. Yeah, it. and there's and there's and there's no preference. You know what's the preference? One thing is one, and one thing's the other. It's the time of year. That's right. That dictates That's the right. preference. So yeah, you know when when it's cold outside and I can sit in my office a little bit and tinker with my flies or you know those those Atlantic salmon flies are just painting on a hook. That's all yeah, they are. That's cool. Yeah, I'm doing it with these strange materials from birds all over the world, just like they did in the Victorian era, is kind of what's fascinating about it. Right. Yeah. How do you balance family life with this big life that oh, you God. have? That's a good question. I don't know that it's balanced. That'd be a question for my wife. <laughs> but uh, Do the best you can. I do my best, yeah. Um, I try to involve them anytime I can get to go somewhere and bring them along. And uh, any of these different things I do at different companies or photo stuff. And um, try to you know be present when I'm here at the house. That's, right. that's the biggest challenge. You know, The phone rings and there's all sorts of... Two billion other things that pull your attention away with the guide service or fishing or clients, and just try to be present when they're around. So it's got to be tough, especially in the middle of the heat of the summer. You know, in, in the, the summer in the season, when every you're single day, rocking. yeah. And they come, uh, and you know, where I where I guide tarpon is a little bit different from where I live. I have a place there as well, and they're there a lot. So when I get off the water, you know, even if my clients are staying with me, all the people that tarpon fish with me are friends, and they know my family, and we all. Just have drinks and dinner and have a fun time. So, yeah. like we did at Rascops. I mean, this first time we yeah. really kind of had it. Well, you stayed at my home when you came down for those photos with the Yeti book. Yeah. I mean, your presence off the water is so different from your <laughs> image on the water. Yeah. How about that? What, do you, what does that mean? I don't know. Let's, let's go there. <laughs> let's go there. Yeah. What is my presence on the water? When did you first come up with the words? And I quote you, um, intellectual capital and nobody owns the ocean, but right. you own the intellectual capital yeah. that you have earned with blood and sweat over the years. Does that make sense to you? Yes, but let me, yeah. let me continue. Sorry. Water is public, but the information and knowledge gained from time spent on the water are proprietary. Here's my question. And I'm not coming at you, but I, we're going we're gonna, to we're massage this a little Absolutely. bit, okay? What, because you own the knowledge about how to fish that spot, what gives you the deed to go over and trespass on the real estate that somebody has got their pole stuck on? Got it. So here, how I feel about that whole deal is that, you know, like let's say you're a new guy. Okay. And you haven't been to an area and there's a, there's a place like that, that somebody has been fishing for 20 years or whatnot, right. Or longer. And every day a tarpon might swim next to that spot or over that spot. Somebody's there. Some, maybe it's not me or you or, you know, somebody's there. And the only way for that new person to learn it pure is impo it, it doesn't exist. There's, there's only way that they would ever know to be on that place over there where the tarpon swims over is because he sees another boat there. So I think that guy should go look for the place where there's no boat and the tarpon swims over. Right. Because somebody's already used their moments and minutes of their life that they will never get back to figure out, hey, the tarpon are swimming right there. So 
can somebody go, nobody, you know, if, if said person, you know, they drive around and they, they see that boat there and they just wait for not for a boat not to be there. You know, they can go there and they can fish, but you know, somebody comes to that spot that has spent 20 years there figuring it out. That guy should go right and go look for his own place. That's how I feel about but it. But you're but you're assuming that the person that wants to fish there has seen another skiff jump tarp He's in there. Going to, there's, it's impossible that he didn't see the boat there. But what what happens if you're looking on Google and you say, "Oh, this is a nice edge. This this is a nice point. I want to go check it out." And no one's there. There'll be a boat there. Like that so, just doesn't happen. Like that's, I don't believe that happens purely anymore. Like, let's say you wanted to come to where I fish up yeah. here. You're gonna talk to other people there's going to be vibes and there's going to be like you go here you don't go here like nobody just gets in their skiff drives somewhere to the florida keys without knowing anything and starts driving around and goes oh this right here look good on this bowling alley spot and you know what i mean like i don't think that that happens purely i think that i mean i've not done today not yeah. with the internet not with google earth not with all that stuff i do that in key largo really you, all the time and places that you never set fished up before. That, never okay. fished before. But a lot of places too that you fished, like you fished on the boat of a guide before and you go back to that spot though, right? And I think, let's say that happens with, you know, you guys are at a spot where 20 years you, you fish with a guide, you know, you should, he should be able to pull up and you're like, hey, and you move. Yeah, it's, it's Steve Hoff. I'm going to revert back to him sure. briefly. I asked him, he said, if you get to the, the spot first, and you touch the ocean, you touch the ocean floor with your push bolt, it's yours. Mm -hmm. And it's yours until when you leave mm -hmm. that spot, then it's free again. And here's the question I have for me, okay? I've been doing this for 40 years. I learned by fishing with Harry Spear. Right. You learned on the bow of other boats, right? Now, after 40 years, and there's a guide in the Keys that doesn't believe that I should be able to fish with my son. Mm -hmm. After 40 years, and I've spent tens and tens and tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars down there. I, right. hate, I don't I want to put it like that, but when do I earn my right to be out there? When do I earn my right to go wherever I want, even though the first time I was at that spot was with a guide? Well, that's kind of a gray area that you're going to, guides will disagree with you about right and sounds like there's at least one that does um i think that you go wherever you want but if that guide that first took you to that spot with you on the bow and i'd give it to him i would give it exactly to him. i would give it and to that's him. the right thing that's how but i feel about i don't see, because i'm but, i'm busting my ass i'm just learning you know, making I, my no, living no i get that but yeah. i'm look i'm just playing the devil's advocate here i'm trying to be I love a, it. a journalist no i know exactly this i've had this conversation countless times no and there's many different ways people feel about it exactly yeah. and when do i get seniority i i just know that i would never go tell a young guy hey you know i won five gold cups here you can't fish here right well it depends on who that guy is that pulls up right if it's some young guy, then yeah, you have seniority. Every situation is different. There's no like, here's how it works. This is it for this spot or this, you know, it's super different because of precedence and seniority and hierarchy. Every time you have to kind of go, okay, what's the situation? Is there anybody that can do that to you? Depends on the spot, I guess. Is there any spot out there where somebody could come There's over? There's a spot and... that, you know, I feel like 
this is where this is my home spot. This is where I start my day. And if I leave it, I don't care who fishes there. If I pull back up, I'd really appreciate it if you let me come in here and work. Right. And what if they that's don't? That's usually how it works. What if they don't leave? Well, you know, I can go a little bit in front of them and fish just fine. <laughs> so, yeah. Do the John Donnell? Do the John Donnell? I don't Do know. Do you know John? Yeah. See, Steve, so we did a podcast with Donnell and Fordyce, and I asked them about these things. And Donnell basically said, I know it's not right, but it's this is the way it is. Yeah. And Steve Huff says, um, I don't blame those guys for taking ownership of Craig Key. Mm-hmm. I blame everybody else allowing, for allowing right. them to, to take that spot. You know, and I think, it, it just depends and I think, I think on how... That, I think there's some people butting heads over here in this part of the ocean mm-hmm. that, that don't like this ownership thing that's right. taken off. Well, I mean, that's just... I think you're just going to run into that because we're humans. And you agree, I don't agree, and we're going to butt. I mean, holy shit. Look at everything in the planet today. That's how it works with right. all of us, right? And how, that's okay. Controversy how, how is okay. How many spots over here that you feel like you own? Just just one that I would say. Just I really one. Feel. So you only do this well, on one, one spot. swim spot. Yeah, one swim spot. And I mean, I don't own it, but I feel like I have a right to be there more than other people. Some right. some private angler guy comes and comes to the fishery and runs around till he sees boats and presses a GPS button. Right. And that guy beats me there. He goes out there in the dark. I totally agree with you. Fuck that guy. I totally yeah. I totally agree with you. That's what I have to say to that guy. Right. And you feel like you have seniority over that spot because you feel like you found that. You developed, I developed that the, little deal and I've been right. fishing it forever. And, you know, as guides in our fishery, we all kind of get a routine. We all know what each other's routine is. I'm never going to run and beat my fellow guide to the deal over there because, man, I know the tide's right for that. I'm going to have a few hours of fish there before I go to this other deal. Nope. I'm not doing that. Yeah, we don't do that to that. our friends where they like to not. fish. No. So it's not so much like ownership of a spot or whatnot. It's people respecting each other's routine. I'd say that. Right. You know? I understand. There's some amazing spots that I just, I don't even, I don't go there. This guy's going, I know he's going to go over there. Fuck, I'd like to, but I don't. And I kind so of get that from my other fellow guys. So let me just clear this up. I mean, you're not a guide over here that's running all over the place telling everybody to leave. Fuck no. <laughs> no. I would, yeah, probably wouldn't be alive, but no. Cause of course not. Here, here's another question. If that's what the world thinks. Well, maybe that's all right if they think that. I don't care. So here's, I, a, here's a question I have. Yes. And I raise it because I sit on the board of trustees with the IGFA. Okay. So Orvis had an ad out recently when you caught that really big fish. Yeah. You know, a fish that was 13 pounds larger than a, the, the world record. Right. Happen. Do you see a problem with that? Yeah, you know, I think Orvis or whomever that... The marketing people. Yeah, they just didn't know to say. Because, yeah, it's not fair to say it was caught or bigger than the world record because it wasn't on IGFA legal. It wasn't le- It wasn't weighed. That's right. It wasn't on IGFA legal. It's like saying I won a 100-yard dash, but I started at the 50-yard yeah. line. So it was definitely a little marketing person glitch or whatever. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I it kind of ruffled my feathers because I know how I hard Holland and everybody... They work so hard for these records inside of a confine of, of rules and regulations. And all of a sudden they took the liberty to say, this is fish. I can understand this is a monster fish, possibly well over 200 caught mm-hmm. on a fly. Yep. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with anybody fishing with 30 pound test. I really am. And that is impressive. That fish was just, it's just ridiculous. Sure. Ridiculous. But yeah. here's, here's no, a, but I get it. I, I totally agree with that. You know, the, that it was, 
think it was somebody that didn't know about that or know right. or understand all those parameters or thinking about somebody else. You know, I was records, just wondering because so. you were in the photograph. I was just wondering mm-hmm. if you had a chance to say, "Hey, this Hell this no. is a great fish," but but the <laughs> no the copy is. Wrong. I wish everybody would vet their copy with me before they printed it, but uh, yeah, be all sorts of. There'd be less controversy, but no, yeah. I didn't get to bet that. Yeah. And talking about IGFA legal and world records, what was it like fishing with Tom Evans? Oh, Tom Evans. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, well, let's um, let the audience know who Tom Evans is. I mean, Tom yeah. Evans is a guy who's given his entire life to catching world record tarpon and billfish. Yeah. And he's got massive records. He does. He's got a 194 on 12, 191 on 16. His blue marlin is 273 on 16. Massive fish. Crazy. And he comes from the old school from Home Assassin, the early 70s. He was in Sports Illustrated. These guys, like he and Billy Pate, chasing world records. And now, you know, he wants to catch a world record on an eight-pound test. So he comes to you. You're the new young gun that has big fish here. Well, and, yeah. And you guys, you guys had a... So, you know... Had some time spent. Steve... You know, Huff uh, convinced me to take him fishing. He's like, man, you, you guys, blah, 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 you should really do this. You have big fish, you know. So, and I was interested because I wanted to learn from him. I wanted to see if Tom Evans had something I could learn from. And mostly from what I heard about him was I might learn about how he pulls on fish, right? So I agreed to take him. We made some days. I had some clients that were there. I said, hey, I need to have these days this year for this project. And took him fishing after day one dean butler who came with him you know i took him out in the yard i said i'm not doing this another day what happened that day to make you get to that you know tom tom wanted to see home assassin in the old days he had his brain completely set like that's what i'm gonna go see on the water here and it was it's not even close to that it's not like doesn't exist it won't exist ever again big giant whirlpools with giant tarpon just as far as the eye can see no, we had great fishing, but it was more technical than He's throwing it into a whirlpool. Okay. So Tom, I watched Tom pull on fish, some fish, and he's, that is very, he's a master at that. I'd say the movement of the fly to make the fish eat it. Not as much a master at. Sorry, Tom, but yeah, like Tom came and fished in a place where there were giant daisy chains of huge fish throw it in there get it in there and just move it around and you get bites and oh is it a big enough one nope okay on to the next one throw it in there again right more technical like as you know on the ocean you're not just throwing it in there and getting a fish you have to feed the fish yeah so during that first day my guidance i was trying to apply and provide you know he was kind of just like let me do it you you point the fish out and i got the rest didn't have the rest so we butted heads that's how it was. That's all right. And it was just one day of fishing, or did you take them the, the next day? Oh, no, we days? fished on. Dean talked me off the ledge. I had a couple cocktails, and uh, Dean talked to Tom, and we we saw a little more eye-to-eye the next day, and even a little more the next day. We kind of massaged it, and, you know, he, you know, Dean would step up, take one shot, and jump the fish, and because Dean was listening to what I told him to do. Right. It's totally different from where Tom had fished. Right. So. That's, that's what happened. That's there's, a per, there's a perfect storm. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I think Tom, 
such a you know he's an anomaly i'd he's say a, he's a dinosaur that was he always is. doing it his way and it was very successful right. but the times have changed they have these fish are smart and they're sophisticated do you think some of your big fish are the same fish that they see in homosassa you know i think possibly yeah i think you know they're the, that time of the year they kind of swim in both directions and yeah i think maybe some of those big ones are headed that way so, right yeah. i totally agree let's talk a little bit about fishing you know, there's a lot of people out there. I, I travel a little bit and I see these fishing lodges in Belize and elsewhere where they have straight 60 or 80 pound mm -hmm. monofilament coming off the end of the leader to the hook. People don't understand that there's no advantage to fishing 30, 40, 60 or 80. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. It's They're actually a disadvantage Okay. And it's very dangerous. If you hook a hundred pound GT with a hundred pound it is dangerous. leader and you wrap a finger around that fly line, you're losing you're gonna lose a digit. <laughs> you're in trouble. Right. Yeah. Also, too, let's just talk about the fighting of fish. Okay. Well, real quick, I wanna yep. I wanna I wanna say something to that. You know, the advantage that most people have these days by using heavier line is it allows them to make mistakes. Right. That's it. So here's my question. Mm -hmm. which really goes to, and I understand somebody's going to come in just say for a, a week, one week, a year, right. and they don't care about getting better. They just wanted to catch a fish. Well, that's typically I get it. what it is. Yeah. I get it. And so be it. But let's talk about the technical aspect of it. You can tie 20, 20 pound test to a scale, 40, 60, and 80. Blindfold the anglers and stay, stand back and I pull agree. as hard as you can. It's going to be the same thing. It's before. not going over 20. I know. He caught a 180. Two years ago, taped out a little shy of 175, but it, it could have been 20% higher or 20% lower in 36 minutes on 16. Yep. So if people really think that it's going to help them fight a fish harder. It doesn't. Or faster. It doesn't. Not at all. I think mentally it, it does. Mentally it might. Yeah. Mentally but it does. But they're not going to pull harder. No. They might no, think no, no. they can, yeah. but they're not. Yeah. It allows them to make mistakes on hookup, let's say. Right. So if you have lighter line, even 20 and you hold too tight or whatever when that fish is, you know. They'll break. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. I think that a lot of guides, as guides, our job is to, man, we want them to at least get one, catch you know a fish. what I mean, or whatever. Right. That those, you know, the folks, they're, they're like, oh, yeah, cool, 40 pound, no problem, because they get to screw up a little bit and not worry about it the five days a year they get to yeah. go for a I, fish, I completely right? agree and with that. And that's what it is, and we want success as guides, and, you know, some people, I've been fishing some people for a long time, and they're they're starting to fish. Let's only fish IGFA because I've caught a ton of these fish now, mm -hmm. and let's challenge myself more. And, you know, I think Be that's, rewarded. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You know, Are, you, you go in, and you know you caught that fish on lighter line, and sweet. You're within the game. Yes. The rules of the game. You are keeping score. Right. What... Um, are you thinking since you have such a large fish here that you might try to catch that that 200 pound fish and break the current record of 202 would you i'm thinking i am thinking why would you not yep so are you worried about the image of killing a fish for a record hmm i don't know how i yes and no you know um yes and no i've kind of changed my my thinking on that in the last couple of years um but I am fishing IGFA when when our big fish are around. All, all you're fishing now. twenty. I am. You have a gaff. I do. Steve. Good made, for you. Steve made me a gaff. How much influence has uh, Steve been for you? 
quite an influence. Yeah. We've, you know, some years ago now he's come up and he fished up here with me and we've become pretty good friends. I've gone down there and swapped the pole and fished around and yeah, definitely an influence. And how has he changed your life the most or your life as a guide? You know, I think for a long time before I started guiding, I knew who he was. I'm not really sure how I was aware of him, but I just knew of his, you know, integrity and work ethic. I think work ethic for sure. Uh, I think about it a lot. Like, would Steve still be out here? Hell yeah, he would. He, you can't get him to go in, you know? Like, you're going to want to go in before he goes in. And I think about that a lot. He's, he's, he's in my brain every day on the water. So he influenced you to gravitate to 20 pound and possibly a sharper stick to help catch him? Yes. He did. Was Nathaniel in that conversation at all? Yes. Nathaniel's in all conversations. <laughs> Socrates. No, is absolutely. Um, definitely lots of urging. And I've warmed up a lot to the idea of uh, killing one. Yeah. Have you had one on the string yet? Yes. Last year we had one for six hours on the string yeah you should you should sent the photograph to me yeah got one good photo of that fish and he would have done it and she would have done it do you have one angler that's set to yeah to i catch have that one fish? guy that i i fish more than anybody else that uh you know it's kind of our project but some other anglers that i fish as well are, are into that and uh yeah any day that it those fish are around and you know when we get other other times of year when there's a lot more fish around there you know not i'm not on that for some of my anglers we're just doing the, the right. usual heavier line do you find that do you find that earlier in the season there's bigger fish coming down the ocean or when I is think, that i think anywhere tarpon first show up the big ones show up first wherever you are whether it's the glades texas wherever it is right the, the large females who are more temperature tolerant move in first i think they're they're okay with the, the cooler water Yes. The lower keys has bigger fish early in the year, for Always. sure. Anywhere the, the they country exist. fish. That's right. They, the big girls come in, whether it's Tarpon Bay or wherever. I think that uh, those big ones move in first. Yep. I heard that uh, you used to fish with wigs on your head. What do you mean you heard? Who uh, what do you mean? So, <laughs> someone told me this. You used to fish with wigs on your We've head. We've done all sorts of silly <laughs> shit. So, you know, it, that, no, you just had long hair. <laughs> what? All of this, you know, everything we're talking about, all of this, when you when you really add it up in the end, it's entertainment. Sure. It's just for fun, you know, and I like to have fun on the water. You know, when the fish is in front of me and we're taking our casts and doing that, like, I get serious as shit real fast, but I want to have fun. Mm -hmm. I want to enjoy my life and every day on the water, and sometimes that takes perspective to say, look, let's have fun and goof off and, yeah, do all sorts of silly shit. So, and smile. And smile. <laughs> I'm just not going to let you see me smile. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, if, uh, what, what was that wig thing? That was like, we we raced, I want to say it was Greg Dini to some spot. We were there super early in the dark. And we were laying in the boat waiting for him to get there. And we had these big Afro wigs on. And we first pulled up, he was like going, there's a boat there, but nobody's in it. So then we jumped up. We had these big Afro wigs on. And anyway. Just, <laughs> Perfect. I love messing with that guy. 
So I'm, I'm, we're doing this new segment where we, you know, the podcast listeners can pose questions. Oh, okay. And ask you, which is, I think it's kind of fun. Oh, so the first question is, C Camp says, or asks, what are your biggest pet peeves on the boat? C Camp, my biggest pet peeves. Gosh, I don't know. Um, let me think about that one. My biggest pet peeves. You know, there's all sorts of little details that I, I would go through, you know, go through with anglers, like how to, where to keep their line in preparation for a shot, how to hold their fly, all these little things that I'm really adamant about. And, you know, it's okay if you don't do that every time, but if I say, Hey, next time let's do this so that as you start your cast, you don't get hung on the, the you know, right. whatever, all those some little obvious things, things that really some very play a big things. role. Yeah. yeah. And when you, if you don't pay attention to those things or you just kind of, eh. Yeah, that really fucking rubs me wrong. Like, what about bananas? Do you have superstition with no, bananas? Come on. If the if a fucking banana is the reason you're not catching a fish, there's something else wrong. There's uh, another guide out there for you. I take a banana on my boat every <laughs> single day. We, come just, on. Just really, people? Just don't let uh, Bouncer. I don't. You know, Bouncer, <laughs> you're just you know, wrong. You know Bouncer, don't you? Yeah, you're just, He's you're just awesome. wrong. He's a lovely man. Banana ain't the reason, man. Sorry. All right. Second question is from Trace Outdoors. What's the biggest confrontation you've had running someone out of a spot? Um, hmm. We, you know, kind of think. Just lots of screaming when I was younger. I was way more amped up. I don't do that anymore. You know, there's, I haven't had to run anybody out of, like, come on. That's, that doesn't happen much anymore, but there's definitely been some, some yelling here and there. Um, nothing back at the boat ramp or back on dry ground. No, not, not that comes to mind. No. All right. Our buddy Austin Stapleton asks. Oh, Jesus. Austin. You know him? <laughs> yes. of course. Uh-oh. No, he, he, it's a good, it's a serious question. What's the most memorable fish that got away? That got away? I mean, right now I'd say that one last year, that six hours in. Six hours is the longest I've ever pulled on a fish. And the fish jumped a dozen times, spaced out over the six hours. And, uh, you know, about hour six, the fish broke off. And it was super emotional. From, you know, six hours of intense concentration, mm -hmm. moving the boat, six hours from my angler, like, and the fish, you know, just gone God. it's emotional you yeah. know uh we sat there for a while and <laughs> there weren't tears but sadness, something yeah. sadness and disappointment and just like <sighs> yeah you lost the game we did we lost all right last questions from nick fly fishing what's your purpose in the whole scheme of things what's my purpose gosh my purpose is just provide a great runway for my kid to have a good life i think that's that if you ask me what my purpose is, but the pur my purpose in fly fishing, there's no purpose. Just providing good, cool moments for different people in their life. I'd say that's all of us as guides. I think that's really all we're doing. Having good, you know, creating good experiences for for anglers to enjoy moments of their life. That's mm -hmm. it. It's that simple. Well, well Greg, Greg has come down to the Keys and has done very well in the tournaments down there. Mm -hmm. uh, I just got to know him last year when I did a show with with Raskob and you. You were yeah. down. You, you filmed the day before. I really enjoyed his company, um, and he has really made his mark down there in the tournaments now. Uh, he's 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 solid. He's, he's very winning stuff. Yeah. Yes. Do you have any any aspirations of doing that yourself? Never. So I don't. You know. 
I get asked all the time and I've had lots of people say, Hey, let me pay all this and let's go fish these tournaments. But that's not my backyard. Right. I think it'd be disrespectful for me to go there in a place where all these other guides, a lot of them that I know and try to compete against them. That's and, not and go to their spots. Yeah. It's just not, it's not <laughs> ultimately, my ultimately you got to fish. That's right. Waters where you fish are caught. Yeah. And I'd feel the same way if we had some tournament where I fish and those guys come up here. Uh, I just think it would seem pompous from me to do that, to go down there to all those guys. And I know so many of them like I'm, why, why am I coming down here to try to beat you at your game in your water? Because you want to win the gold cup, the biggest. Well, no, I don't. Tur- well, okay I'm just saying, I, I don't think it would be pompous. Yeah, I do. I feel like I'd be disrespectful for those guys. Well, because that's not my, that's speaking, not my water. Uh, yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. But it's an invitational. It's the biggest tarpon tournament in the world. Mm-hmm. Greg's down there. He's not pompous. Well, I don't know. That's, that's Greg. That's yeah. not me. Yeah. I, I understand. I'd rather make my mark here in a different way. Right. I want to learn and master my fishery more than anybody else could ever, you know, more than anybody else has ever. And that's my focus and what's important to me. Um, would I, would I like to know how I add up against those guys? I've certainly thought of it, but it's not that important to me. Right. So you're making your mark with big fish here. Uh, I'm just making my mark to myself, learning my fishery as much as I can, like more than anybody. That's my goal. What's your biggest challenge at this point after being here for so many years, learning things that I don't know already. Right. So whether it's spots or techniques or things that the fish do that nobody knows, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Like things that I don't know about. I want to find new things. Right. Just refine. Keeps my head in it. Right. Just expanding what you already know. Expanding. Right. Tell me about the dragon tail. How'd you come up with that? <laughs> yeah. So my kid, my, my daughter, Marin, she's 13 now that, that child's obsessed with crafting. Like she's just like making, painting, drawing, doing something 24 seven when she's here at the house and, uh, lots of trips to Michael's craft store. And, uh, sounds like the dogs needs to go out. But, uh, I saw this little toy at the, you know, the toy area in the craft store. And it's called a squirmel. It's like from the eighties or something. Right. And it's just chenille looking deal. And I saw it in the package. I said, Hmm, that looks interesting. I've bought all sorts of weird shit over the years to see if I could lash it to a hook, you know, and think of, you know, does this work or not work? But that thing, I lashed it on a hook, threw it in the water, moved it around and holy shit, it moved amazing. The first one I did was pretty big or the first ones that I bought were pretty big. So I, Got with a guy through Orvis, and we let's try to develop or figure out how to make this thing a little better, not as big to cast and all that. And um, yeah, so you throw that thing in the water and pull it through the water, and it moves like it comes alive. Crazy it's a snake! It comes alive. It is. So yeah, that's the that's the old dragon tail. Actually, Huff named it. So when oh, we were, he did. Yeah, when we were up when he was up here fishing, you know, a lot of times our shots are real short. So if you have a short shot, you just bang quick and you slide with the rod, right? And let's say your rod's way over here when the fish eats, you swing back. So I teach all my clients, swing back, let the fish tighten it, right? So we're doing that with Huff and he was sliding it with the rod and he was dragging it through the water. So it was the dragon tail. tail. Mm, yeah. dragon so that's how tail. the name G-G-I-N. Yes, dragon tail. So anyway, he came up cool. with the name. Do you have a patent for it? Do you get um No. 
No, I don't have a patent. So anybody out there wants to delve into making a fly and make a zillion bucks, good luck. Yeah, it's not. So you don't make no any money. royalties. I do. Yeah. I mean, I want to say, I don't know what it's been over the years. Not that much. Way less than you'd think. But uh, the the real reason that I got into like trying to market or develop it is because you would buy these things at the store and they were these bright ass colors and I needed them to be black. So I'd put rubber gloves on and it's big Sharpie and just fucking Sharpie 20, 30, all, you know, all night. So I was like, man, I just need somebody to make these things black. <laughs> that was the whole reason that I got with that guy to, to make them because I didn't want to have to color them myself. Why do you think tarpon and off-color water like black so much? It's black just the, purple, the darkness. Spectrum. You know, purple is just neon black is all it really is, right? Yeah, it's just a brighter black, if you will, because if you look at it in the water, it's real dark. Yeah. Um, but why do I think that they're either going to see white or black in dirty water? Right. It do you, do you use white flies? On, maybe. Of course you Sometimes. do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it just depends. Uh, but I think black, you know, if you're in kind of murky water, turbidity, you know, sediment in the water, the first thing you're going to see at distance is dark, a dark fly, right? You put a chartreuse fly or other flies out there you're gonna you have to get a little closer to that thing before you see it but black i believe is the first thing they're gonna see at any distance right. Does that makes sense yeah yeah but i also think big flies because it moves water and fish can feel sometimes yeah well if that's yeah real dirty water sure right yeah but not yeah i mean if you have water that looks somewhat clear you know you can still see a fish in it right you know that and the fish can kind of see the fly but not too late that's like perfect right fishes doesn't have a lot of time to think about it right your cat in a yarn string thing is different than reaction bite right for sure yeah yeah i want the reaction bite yeah that way i control what's happening more so or do you foresee getting burned out in the next couple of years i mean you fish no freaking every I, day and i love it nope I, will, I don't see it i will die fishing I'm never going to burn out unless I break something or, you know, I don't know. Cancer is my biggest fear in life. Please, God, don't take me through cancer. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, What would you like to say or give to the audience as we wrap oh, this God, up? Oh, God, I don't know. It's, I've just been talking to you guys. We'll just give you an open, the audience. We'll give you an open mic here for a second. Gosh, I don't know. Um, I would urge everybody out there that has a boat or wants to, find amazing fishing to go look beyond, go look beyond where the other guys are looking. And that's, that's the way you're going to find amazing, crazy things. Not where you know they're going to be. Take that time to go and look somewhere beyond. That's what I'd say. So I've found some amazing things and all sorts of guides have found amazing things. There's some guides that, that go out and they go to the place cause they know I got my day and my clients are happy, caught the fish, but if you really want to find, you know, amazing fishing or things that are just super, you know, that have really turned you on, go beyond, keep going, drive further. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Our pleasure. Yeah. David, it's great to meet you, man. Finally. Right? Yeah. Thanks yeah. so much. Thanks guys. Smile more. <laughs> you got a great smile. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I'll try. I'll remember you. You're all good, man. Next time I met the camera pointed at me, I'll, I'll smile. <laughs> Andy, Andy. Thanks, cool. Dave. Thanks, guys. I'm not, or ever will be, a policeman of our sport. 
I'll just ask a question here and there, sometimes knowing the difference between right and wrong when I ask it. Other times, I'm really inquiring about the issues at hand. I know my boat on the water is one of the too many out there. We all just have to figure out how to get along as best we can for the future of our sport and our own enjoyment. Remember, that's why we're out there, to have fun. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do us a huge favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.